What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray. I'm here with Danny Fry today. And uh, Alex, you will notice, is is not here right now. He uh, just closed on a house in Charlotte. So he is currently like U-hauling or whatever you do to move his crap from one state to another. And uh, I suppose that's a good excuse to, uh, you know, you know, not actually make it on a recording while driving. So uh, that being said, Danny is a retired army and is a friend slash, I think, I guess, business partner at this point of two guys that are both members of the mastermind, but also just really solid dudes. So uh, Octavio Moda and Adit Shah. And uh, I mean, as I was telling him before the recording started, Adit saved my ass once in San Diego. So uh, I pretty much anytime his name comes up, I make sure make it a point to throw that out there because, well, you know, he super inconvenienced himself and went like an hour and a half out of his way to help me when my car blew up the day I was supposed to be PCS or leaving, leaving California. So uh, super cool gentleman. And so, yeah, so I'm super excited to hang out with you, Danny, and hear your story and talk real estate. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in, and we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes, We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do, and we'll really help you out. We let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Dave, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you, uh, you want to give a little background to, I guess, how you got into real estate and, and, or, or just how, how you came to, to be you and where we're at now. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I love it. Um, so yeah, I spent 20 years in the military and, uh, you know, the whole time, uh, like a lot of people from my generation, uh, going into the military was getting out of the military for 20 (laughs) years. Yeah. And, uh, You know, the army has a way and the military has a way of forcing you into uh, real estate investing. So, you know, you buy a house and eight months later, they tell you you got to go somewhere and you can't sell it because you can't afford to sell it. And uh, so you had to start renting it out. Um, After about five years before I came back to Fort Bragg, that, you know, we lived in the house for maybe eight months, uh, owned it for five years and had maybe one month of vacancy. And I came back and I'm like, wow, my house is worth 20,000 more than it was when I last, you know, when I last lived in it. And, um, you know, I, I owe, you know, several thousand dollars less than, 
than what I originally, you know, what I originally paid for. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool. Um, we got PCS to Texas in 2011, 2012 to Fort Hood, my wife and I. And that's where we really got into real estate investing. Uh, I picked up a book from Dean Graziosi. I can't quite remember the name of the book, uh, but it was something along the lines of invest in real estate now. <laughs> you know, uh, take, it was something about taking action. And uh, I really love the book, started plugging into his program. And within a few months, uh, we bought our second home, which was a Ford unit multiplex in, uh, in like the worst neighborhood. Uh, and the day we were moving in, I was able to move in about half of the stuff. And then that night, we I deployed to Afghanistan for a year. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so j- just, uh, you know, Army stuff, man. I have a rock star wife that, you know, was able to to deal with me through all that. Hey, babe, you want a house hack? By the way, you're doing it on your own. Have fun. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had the rear we had the rear detachment um, come in and help remove stuff into the house and get everything set up. And yeah, it was, it was a <laughs> good unit. You know, but it, it was pretty funny. She she still brings it up every now and again. Oh yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but we made a lot of money on it. Yeah, well, and it's hilarious on all sides too because you've got that story, but there is some army vet running around who's like yeah man i checked into my unit and everyone else deployed and i got to help random people move their wives into their houses because they weren't there (laughs) carrying furniture that was my job i didn't know i was a freaking moving company (laughs) oh yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) such a military thing that's funny yeah so i I, you know I, i developed a passion for it then you know we spent pretty much i'd get off work uh, I go to the house, spend an hour or so just doing research. Uh, I set an, uh, I set a goal to underwrite five uh, deals, you know, five houses, just random houses that I thought would be a cool investment, um, and just got into the habit of of doing that every day, five houses every day. Uh, not necessarily to say yes or no, but to look at it and say, okay, what number? What would my buy number be? Uh, for this to be a great deal. And, um, you know, with uh, what we picked up from Dean Graziosi, which is probably, you know, that tactic has probably ran its course. But, you know, just submit a whole bunch of, a whole boatload of offers. You know, it's like, you know, if you submit a hundred offers and one of them sticks, man, you're still winning. And that's not, that's not a very good way to uh, make friends with real estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you probably would get laughed at right now with anything on the market. Oh, like, right now it'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, well some knucklehead's going to pay $20,000 more than it's worth. So uh, no, I'm not taking your low ball. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not even going to ride it. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. That's definitely, but I mean, in a buyer's market where houses are sitting on the market for extended periods of time, writing multiple offers is really not that i mean yeah some of them are embarrassing but like you'll get acceptances you're absolutely right uh and i i had an agent in this you know works in some markets and doesn't work in others in missouri this works i had an agent we would just text or call and say you know hey this is where we're going to come in at you know your client better than we do is it worth submitting the offer or not and uh, we still locked one up, even with that super like non-committal, like, yo, rather than wasting your time worth reading this offer, we're just, is this going to work? Maybe. Okay. Then we'll submit it. And, um, you know, it's, it still worked. So yeah, definitely a viable strategy in the right market. 
Yeah, we've had some success doing it that way. Um, it, it, it's really up to the comfort zone of the agent, uh, I believe, because, um, you know, there's a lot of times where that that's typically how if I'm representing a buyer, I, I am a licensed real estate agent. I did that when I got out. You know, I thought that was the next step. And uh, the, the uh, you know, I mean, it's such a simple thing. You know, you agree to the terms. It's in the text, right? It's in writing, you know, all right? And you just kind of negotiate it there. It takes minutes versus, you know, an hour of paperwork and then pass it back and forth. And um, so the agent I had in Texas was very rigid that way. And so, that, you know, it's kind of a lesson learned. If your agent's that rigid, you probably need to find a different agent. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to find someone flexible, someone hungry. <laughs> yeah, some, absolutely. Somebody willing to go get it. Um, but yeah, so after the military, I jumped right into, uh, I jumped right into real estate sales. Um, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough, uh, however you want to look at it, that uh, I got 100% disability and, uh, uh, and a pension. And so my take-home pay was $50 less a month than my active <laughs> duty sergeant first class pay. And uh, yeah, I, I thought, well, man, I can do whatever I want now. You know, I, I can work, I can, you know, so every dime I made doing real estate sales went right back into real estate sales because household was covered. Um, and uh, so, you know, once I, once you put that in there, you know, you, the risk of losing, you know, is not as important anymore. Right. I mean, even, you know, it, it allows you to take more um, aggressive decisions, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you've got your, your baseline covered, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm an advocate for the TSP because you know, a lot of service members, they, they, you know, mess that up or whatever. Luckily it's set up a little bit better now for it to actually go in the right fund and there's the match. And, you know, so younger guys who come in with that are set up better than we were, but it's like, Hey, if you contribute to the TSP for, you know, the first few years you're in the military, then that thing will just grow on its own and you never have to do anything again. And now, you know, Hey, when I'm 60, I'm covered. This thing's enough to maybe not be rich, but, but, but live on, cover my basic expenses. So now I can go big or go home. Cause I'm not gambling with my retirement. I'm just gambling with the interim. And you know, if I'm working for myself or working a W2, whatever, you got to do something when you're 30. But you know, if you're, it's, it's nice to know that your, your future is secure, you know, and then you can, yeah, you can, man, service members have such a great opportunity to take, big risks at a young age. Cause it's like, you're guaranteed a job as long as you don't get a DUI or murder someone. Uh, you know, like it's such a secure position to invest from or, or in your case, right. A hundred percent P and T with, uh, retirement pay. Like I'm good. I'm covered. Like this is what I was living <laughs> on for the last 20 years. So right, right. I can continue to live on that and I can invest everything else. Yeah, and it, and it's been great. Uh, just kind of caveat on that TSP. Um, the so there may be a lot of people out there that think like I thought. Uh, you know, when I joined the military, my mom she was a she was a cop. She didn't know much about investing, but she 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 made me sit down with uh, the police department's financial advisor and establish. Uh, some mutual funds, you know, get, get into some mutual funds, $25 a month, you know, whatever. And so we set that up and, and, you know, I just kind of placated that and then completely forgot about it. Um, a few years later I got into, uh, I didn't do the TSP route, but I did do, uh, an IRA, uh, uh, 401k. Yeah, I guess it was an IRA that set up as a Roth. And 
But my mentality was, I didn't want to save money for 60, 65, you know, 70, whatever that was. I, I, you know, I wanted to employ my money in a way that I could do better. I could do more stuff with it now. Uh, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't, I don't know if I'm going to live to 65, 70, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel you. So what I've learned though, is there are, um, there are retirement accounts out there that give you total control, self-control over your retirement funds. And so had I had been more aggressive, then I would have had access to it now to be able to invest the way I want to, uh, it, within a retirement structure. So retro retrospectively, that uh, mindset of don't, you know, I don't want to put it into a retirement account because I'm not really that concerned with my retirement. I'm, I'm concerned with making my money now. Uh, that is an actual tool, you know, especially when you get out, you can transfer that and, and, and get complete access to it. You can do all of your own real estate investing through that platform, but it's a great place to stack bills uh, and get it ready to employ in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's totally passive. So, you know, and, and when you're, you know, an E1 or E2, you're, you're probably not, you're not using the VA loans. You're not really, you know, real estate's a little hard your first couple of years in the military. Although I know some guys who've done it, but um, a good opportunity to build up a, a good, you know, secure cash or emergency or 401k position. So, okay. So you're buying single families by making millions of offers. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, ended up going back to Fort Bragg. Um, you know, at this point, I had uh, transferred from being a combat engineer into special operations, and it was very demanding on my time. So the the you didn't want to do metal you know, detectors real anymore. Kind of say that again. <laughs> I said you didn't want to play with metal detectors and deployments anymore. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> actually, I I, I really. Uh, was looking, you know, I wanted a big picture. I wanted to be able to see things from a bigger picture. And that's why I jump, have more control over, over your future, but you have less time at home. That was the, that was the trade-off. And, um, so the real estate investing stuff kind of took a pause. The education didn't, I stayed, you know, continuously read everything I could listen to everything I could. I planned my retirement out five years in advance, 10 years in advance, you know, just like, Hey, when I get out, I'm going to be a real estate agent. Then I'm going to buy a bunch of houses and then I'm going to do it in this manner, in this manner. And I, you know, and I talked to people all the time about what I wanted to do. Uh, and I advise people all the time, Hey, you know, you should get into, you know, you need to buy a house, right? You know, that is, uh, there's a lot of, you know, mixed feelings about that through the financial, uh, security space about whether or not your primary residence is an asset versus a liability. Um, and for me, if you have nothing in the bank, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars, use your loan buy that house because in a few years your net worth is going to exponentially increase uh over time just because of the appreciation of the house the you know the pay down of the debt uh if you happen to move somebody else is paying for that asset for you uh and then you can do with you know you can do with it whatever you want to later on uh but it gives you that opportunity um and you only lose when you sell so you know, if it's, if it's a bad time, you know, try to, you know, try to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, which is the, that's why cash flow is so important. If, if the property is cash flowing and you've got it rented, if the market dips, as long as you've got reserves and you've got, you know, a cash flowing property, you're okay. Right. Right. 
So I jumped right into real estate, right? Jump, jumped right into it. And uh, I started submitting, uh, you know, I started using LinkedIn uh, a lot, LinkedIn and Facebook, you know, and I just started telling my story. Hey, I'm in, you know, getting out of the military. I'm going through real estate school. You know, I got my license. Hey, I picked the firm, right? And all those people for years that I'd been telling buy a house started calling me because they wanted to sell or buy a house, right? You know, I had lots of friends of mine that were, uh, you know, had been, had, had left Fort Bragg five, 10 years ago and will never come back. And they're like, uh, I, should get rid of that. <laughs> sure, man, I'll take, I'll take care of you. So business, my first year was just absolutely crazy. Uh, did, I did a lot of business and, um, you know, rookie of the year for exit. Not that I was chasing that or anything. I just wanted to, to win. Yeah, it was great. Um, I, I found an opportunity to be selected as the top 100 people in real estate. Uh, there's a magazine, Top 100 Magazine. Um, my, I had built out my LinkedIn profile so well that they reached out to me to be recruited. It, it, it's more of just a marketing platform. Yeah. They don't really rate you. You know, yeah. you're not really the top 100 people. You are definitely somebody <laughs> that's interesting. Don't give away the PR secrets. <laughs> to put in your magazine. It's like the, uh, I saw someone made a TikTok video the other day that was like, you ever see those clips where it's like, the top three people who whatever, or, or the top 10. And you're like this random guy who doesn't do anything is up next to like Tony Robbins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> random guy paid five grand to get that slot so he could say, Hey, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it builds credibility, you know, it's oh, something yeah. to talk about. Right. And so that's all part of building your personal brand. You know, once you build that personal brand, it doesn't matter what direction you take. Uh, you know, you just, People know you and they're going to follow you and follow you into whatever you change into. And so the, the single family thing, it was super busy uh, and it took a lot of time and energy. And it really wasn't, I really wasn't doing what I wanted to. Uh, found myself representing a, a 20 or 30 uh, real estate investors that were about the same thing I was, you know, about 50 grand in the bank. Um, and looking for a, you know, a flip type house that they can either buy or buy and hold or flip or whatever. Uh, and the inventory is kind of diminishing, right? And so I'm representing 20 or 30 people all looking for the same house that I'm looking for, you know, so I'd have to, you know, kind of massage that relationship, you know, that fiduciary relationship. Um, and then I just kind of found myself in, uh, in commercial real estate, you know, ran into a guy who, uh, was looking at buying a 12 unit, uh, started talking to the seller, uh, asked her if she had anything coming up or off market. And she mentioned that she had a uh, $12 million, 256 unit class A complex. Uh, no big deal. That, yeah, no, yeah. And I'm like, well, cool. Tell me what you, you know, tell me about it. Right. So uh, I take it back to the guy who was looking at the 12 units and I told him about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, we can totally do that. Great. Great. You know, now I need to go learn how to, uh, you know, sell how to represent a buyer that's buying, a, you know, uh, so jumped right into uh, CCIM class, uh, the 101, and, you know, gave a really incredible anal you know, uh, uh, perspective on analyzing commercial real estate. And as a matter of fact, we use the same tools and the same uh, uh, lessons that we picked up from that class today. Um, that deal fell through. Right. Uh, and, and what it boiled down to is that the guy had, had, 
had a bunch of investors interested and excited about that that deal, and the deal was great. Uh, and we packaged it up very well. We negotiated $3 million off of their initial ask, which was incredible. Um, never even hit the market, you know, and suddenly it's like, you know, all of his investors are backing out. And I'm like, why is that? It, because the deal was good. And so what we learned is that he never structured. He didn't know about a syndication. He didn't know how to do a syndication. He wasn't doing the syndication. He knew people with money. He locked the deal up and felt like that that would, you know, take place. Everything would just happen. And so that's not how it works. If, if you don't have something for somebody to sign right now, you don't have a deal. Yeah. You know, or, you, or a you solid have, you have an opportunity. Or, yeah. Yeah. So looking back at it, if we just structured a private placement memorandum, you know, for, for a, uh, a private offering, I think the deal would have gone through. Um, the plan was solid. Everything was solid. The numbers were incredible. Uh, it just, structure wasn't there. Uh, the reputation was there. I mean, everything. Um, but that propelled me into, all right, man, I want to be in that space. I want to be buying those. And, uh, you know, get to thinking that, hey, I've got 20 or 30 clients that have $50,000. You know, what if we can pull all them together, we can go buy something really magical, right? So what is that? Because I don't want to operate anything. I don't want to operate them. You know, I, I did all my hard work already. You know, I'm not trying to, to sweep floors or do toilets or answer phones on from tenants or, or, you know, manage that kind of stuff. So we start looking for opportunity that already had a manager, right? We look for the operator first. And I think that's what made us unique. Um, and, you know, part of this process, you know, you're learning through this process on what to do, where to go. We had a pretty good, uh, understanding of what a syndication is and how to market it and how to bring everything together. We didn't understand the legal, right? We knew we needed to get legal. We knew it was going to cost us, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 to get our legal stuff, but we didn't know where to go. So I'm asking all these real estate attorneys, uh, in and around the Fayetteville area, None of them ever heard of a syndication before. And you're like, well, people are doing it. I'm listening yeah. to people on the radio that are doing this. Like, what do you mean? I can't find an attorney that can do this. Uh, so uh, I went to the real estate guys, uh, Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar. And the first... They do a cruise every year, right? It's those guys? Yeah, I, I want to get on that too. I've been, I've been thinking um, about it, yeah. Yeah, it's really expensive, but it's very exclusive. Yeah, um, yeah Robert Kiyosaki. Ten days out like to sea with, yeah, ten days out to sea with guys like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, yeah. and, and, and just a really close knit. I mean, I think they they have like twelve hundred people on the on the boat, you know. So yeah, it's for cool. ten days, and they stop at Belize and a couple other really cool places. Yeah, yeah, but, super cool. Yeah, but their attorneys were great. So, you know, they, they were the first guest speaker. And I'm like, all right, I got everything I need from this from this weekend, <laughs> you know, on day one. So, uh, and we actually engaged uh, the attorneys that they use, Premier Law Group, uh, Mauricio Rold and Bethany LaFlam. And they had such a incredible system, uh, just, just, you know, cookie cutter system that they knew how to do it every single time. Uh, they take all the you know, the, the nickel and dime billing, uh, out of the equation and, you know, it's a flat rate. 
uh, unless there's some extraneous things that, you know, some unique stuff that kind of falls outside of that. Um, but that really gave us, you know, now we're like, all right, hey, so how do we get to the next part? How do we, you know, we need to find an operator. Well, during that same weekend on uh, uh, LinkedIn, I met my operating partner, David Stahl. And David reached out to me uh, based off of my LinkedIn profile. Uh, said, hey, look, I'm a hotel flipper and I'm looking for an investor to come in and put down payment money down and I'll split the hotel with you, 5149. And uh, I said, well, tell me more, man. You know, so we actually built the relationship over the course of about a year uh, under, you know, uh, he would send me deals and I'm talking like 10, 15 a week, you know, that, you know, he would love to jump on anything from, uh, you know, a $1.5 million purchase price all the way up to, you know, 250 million. Right. And, um, so after, you know, we put all, got all that relationship, uh, put together, we, we had got to the point to where we felt he was vetted. Uh, I built a company around that model that, Hey, David is going to bring the franchise. He's going to bring, uh, he's going to operate the day to day. He's going to negotiate the price. He's going to get the loan. All I have to do is go structure some legal stuff, find a bunch of people, you know, that's got 20% of the money and we can buy a hotel. Uh, and uh, it sounds very simple and it is very simple. Um, it's not a lot of, it's not very complicated. Anybody can do it. Uh, but what I realized is not everybody can operate. <laughs> you know, especially in the whole hotel space, you have to have experience. You got to have franchise experience, right? So it, it, it's really complicated to get into there. And so people ask me all the time, why did you go into hotels? Why not multifamily? Everybody goes to multifamily, right? 95%, you know, go right into multifamily. I didn't want to be competitive, right? I, I didn't want to have to compete. You know, that's where, that's where you, you know, when you have to compete like that, you lose profit. Um, so I, I look for opportunities that didn't have, you know, where it didn't have to compete and David could do all the hard work, you know, and, you know, we, we just built a, you know, built a company around it. That's where we built Archimedes from. I like it. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I guess we didn't really discuss any of this beforehand, but so I own a hotel, um, just, just one and it's not a franchise it's in a really small town so we've got some some struggles but there's three of us so i found i was mailing for single families this guy was like well i'll sell it to you but i've got all this other stuff i'd like to let go of so it's it's two small apartments and then a 40 unit uh, hotel with like pool hot tub you know whatever um and uh we structured it to where one of the three of us gets a seven percent management fee off the top and he takes all the operation stuff and that's been so nice because i i'd lose my mind if i had to manage that thing <laughs> it, it's such a mess yeah it's complicated it's really complicated yeah, yeah hospital i mean and you got so much more just nuanced stuff that you have to worry about with the hospitality hospitality business like you know you have an apartment complex and your tenant hates you and they move out and nobody cares but you have a hotel and someone has a bad experience they leave you a one-star review and that is just no bueno <laughs> so it's it's a yeah it's an interesting gig yeah I, there's there's a lot to love about it though um so i mean the, i always kind of correlate this to multifamily because that's what most people know 
Uh, and I, I did operate in that space a little bit. So I, I understand the space and I understand the underwriting and numbers and everything. I understand the, you know, the processes, but, uh, with hotels, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, the, every month there's this, this report is put out called a star report. Uh, I can't recall what the acronym stands for, but, uh, basically it tells you, um, how your hotel performed, you know, what was the occupancy rate, you know, the revenue per available room, your average daily rate, what that was for the last 30 days, how it compared to the last 12, you know, the last year, uh, what was your trailing three, uh, and your trailing 12 and year to date. But not only does it do that for your hotel, it does it for the, the entire comp set, the entire competition, uh, segment. Yeah. So with that, with the comp set, you know, all the numbers on the comp set are there, right? So, you know, it gives us a, a clear picture of what the capacity is. So when we're looking at a hotel, it doesn't necessarily have to be a foreclosure. It doesn't even necessarily have to be marketed as distressed. Um, it's, it's profitable. It's marked, you know, it's, it's marketed as profitable. It, you know, this is the price that it's valued at based on the income that it receives. But then you look at that report and you realize, you know, you can, you can see that it's maybe it's occupancy was the same or better, but it's average daily rate was less. Right. So that's where, that's where, you know, a lot of your opportunity is. So then you got to ask yourself a couple of questions. Why is that? Right. Is it because of condition? Cause that costs money, right. Uh, capital expense. But if it's management that costs almost no money and, and it's something easy to fix you know, really easy to fix. They've done, you know, David's been doing it for 30 years. And um, so it, it's just amazing how complacency and poor management um, get, you know, factor in into the, the hospitality space. And, and it's like that with, you know, any kind of commercial real estate, right? It's values based off of profit, you know, or off of income. So if the income's low, you know, you're getting a good deal. You're getting a deal. Uh, and a lot of times that puts them, that puts them at a negative, uh, in the, you know, that puts them at a disadvantage in the negotiation because they know it's underperforming. Right. And they look at it as this big hurdle that's going to have to, to, uh, that people are going to have to come over. And a lot of people look at it as this massive hurdle, 30 to 45 days. And, and that's, you know, it's in revenue management, 30 to 45 days, and we fix revenue. That's um, awesome. That's a quick it, turn. Yeah, it's really fast. With, and, and, you know, especially when you can just to pause that and highlight how fast that is. If you're doing multifamily, the only two ways you raise rent are one – renovations which you, you mentioned on the hotel if it's it's if it's distress right that's expensive so that could be either one but the other is when someone moves out with an apartment complex you could have your thumb up your butt waiting nine months for somebody's lease to come up and then finally you can bring it up to market rent even if you don't have to update it whereas with a hotel most of those people are going to be gone by the end of the week so ta-da <laughs> right right exactly Oh man, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and like one of the other, like really interesting things about it is when you're, when you're assessing your capital expenses, right. For, for a multifamily or any other uh, commercial asset for that matter, um, you're doing the assessment, right? It's, it's you doing that assessment saying, Hey, this, these items need to be fixed. 
right? And and you're taking on the ownership and the responsibility of the capital improvement uh, for th- an impact that you want, right? That you that you desire. Maybe it works out the way you want to. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you go over budget. Maybe you don't. Uh, with hotels, the if, especially if it's a franchise, they issue out a report. Uh, they they go in and do this massive inv- uh, inspection. Um, and then issue a report called a property improvement plan. And if you want their hotel, you have to agree to that plan. And it tells you everything that needs to be uh, improved and the timeline. And the timeline's not necessarily real short. And so you're able to negotiate the timeline on certain certain items. So it takes all the guesswork out. You know, David just hands that to um, you know his improvement guys. They go source it and say, hey, this is how much it's going to cost. And, you know, we throw that into the race. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it makes it real simple. Do you, what, what, uh, what's your like buying criteria? Like what's your, what's, what class of hotel are you guys operating in? Sure. So, uh, great question. Um, there, the opportunity that is out there is so vast, virtually unlimited in the hotel space. Uh, there's, uh, there was this incredible report, and I, I'm going to get to your answer. Uh, there's this incredible report put out by HotelManagement.net in August of 2020, and basically what it said is, you know, it, it took a look at the impact of COVID in the hospitality space, right? And so that impact to COVID, um, they assessed that 80% of all hotel mortgages were in jeopardy of default with an expectation of 50% of all hotel mortgages would go into foreclosure proceedings in the coming year. Right. And and a lot of that is what occurred. So just because you see a hotel that's open and operating doesn't necessarily mean it's not bank owned or franchise. Yeah. Yeah, We had a couple, at least one that I know of that went, went down and, and got demoed to build something else here in town. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're starting to see a, a, an interesting tactic where, you know, multifamily people are shifting into the hospitality space and doing conversions into, um, and there's a lot of really great benefit to that. Uh, just depends on, on, you know, there's a niche for it. Um, but so we would get these, you know, we have the, David has the capability of managing all the way up to, you know, five-star resorts with all the bells and whistles, uh, all the way down to, um, you know, boutique bed and breakfast. So he has, he has that range, uh, and with an experience with every franchise. So there's no, there's really no limit to what we can do and what we can take. Really the limit right now is, uh, is us, you know, it's, it's, you know, how much capital are we able to raise? What is the size of our network? Um, and what portion of our network is investing with us. And so right now our sweet spot is within that, you know, somewhere between like one and $3 million raise, um, with, uh, typically between four accredited investors, it's typically between, uh, 50,000 and a hundred thousand for a, a minimum commitment. Yeah. So, so that puts you at what? Five, five to 15 ish for purchase power. Yeah, about that. So, yeah, we're uh, we're picking one up for four point four, but the exit's going to be about nine point five, um, and then we picked one up for three. So, so we're we're getting a lot in that sweet spot around that three to five range, and 
Um, and they're, you know, so typically that's your limited service, your economy class kind of hotel. Um, but there's a lot of great opportunity out there that we're really trying to shift into that are, that's in the select service, uh, especially around Branson, Missouri. Oh my God. Branson was just eviscerated during COVID. Really? And, uh, so yeah, I'm in Springfield about 45 minutes North. Oh man. Like every hotel in Branson is for oh, sale yeah. right now. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they got decimated very, by COVID. Very cheap, Old people very Vegas. Cheap. Yeah, that's the, the, the Midwest Riviera, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, Branson's an interesting beast, but yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, any, anyway, so didn't mean to derail you there. Yeah, no, no that's great. Um, so, I mean, it's just, there's just that much, there's just that much out there. Um, and and the thing is, is there's, there's not a lot of competition. So if you go off the rule of supply and demand, right, multifamily has very limited supply, uh, and a ton of demand, massive ton of demand. And so it, it makes it really competitive in that space to get, and that's why you see that cap rate compression, right? Um, and the, in the hotel space, they don't necessarily go off a of cap rate. They go off of gross, re- uh, gross revenue, uh, multiples. And so, um, you'll see, you know, you got to identify who, who are you competing with? Right. The, you know, all the, all the, you see all the assets, all the supply, who, who's the competition. Right. And so, and who's, who buys hotels. Right. So it's, uh, institutional investing, like, you know, publicly traded REITs, you know, that's your big, that's your big money. Uh, they don't, they don't buy value add. Right. They, they buy, uh, stable core plus core, core plus what they call it, you know, stable, stable assets. And, you know, because they want a stable return for their investors with moderate growth. Um, so that's, that's the end user, right. On, on what we're doing. Then you have, um, you know, some multifamily people that are coming in and doing conversions. Well, it only really makes sense for them to do that with a severely distressed asset, um, or something that has lost its flag or something like that, because it, it costs too much money to divest it and then reimagine it. Um, and so it's an opportunity there is in like these abandoned hotels in, in these towns that need housing. Right. And so governments incentivize them. So there's a lot of great opportunity there, but they're not, a, they're not a, a competitor to us because that's not what we're buying. Um, and then, you know, so franchises want you to have franchise experience uh, to be able to sell you a franchise and the banks want that too, to be able to assume the risk. So, and then a lot of those people that had been competitive just got their teeth kicked in in the last two years from the impact of COVID. So they're not competing. So really, you know, we, I mean, we can pull, we have so much, you know, we can do so much. Um, and uh, it's, it's the, the opportunity right now is so good. Uh, best time in generation to get in the hospitality, but it's so good in hospitality that we when we structure, we, we take 49% of a hotel, right? Raise the down payment money. Um, and that's the investment. And then from that 49%, we won't even uh, send it to our, to our phase two underwriting if, there, if I can't identify 20% or better uh, internal rate of return for, you know, for the limited partners, for the investors. So even after all of that, you know, cutting out, you know, 49%, taking RGP stake and, and doing all the, you know, whatever fees that have to be affiliated with it, 
we still find 20%. You yeah. know, I can find it all day long. That's yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. That's cool. Uh, question or two for you. Um, as a guy who owns a podunk hotel, so so the the super short story about ours is the guy bought it. So it went it went under three years ago, not because of COVID, but because uh, well, we'll put it this way: when we took over, somebody called the front desk one day and asked if they could still get a free night stay in exchange for a hit of heroin. So. It was not managed very well. Um, so it went under. Bank took over. Bank sold it to this guy named Tom. Tom tried to do a conversion to assisted living or or something like that. And the city, it's very small, like a town of like 3,000. And the town was like, nope, that's the only hotel. Pound rocks, like whatever. Um, and so and it is the only hotel in like 15, 20 miles. So it's a little mom and pop. It, you know, it does its thing, but it's not anything crazy. But I'm curious – I've never even thought about it. You've mentioned it a few times now, the flag or the the franchising or so what is the perk there? Like is that an opportunity that I'm missing by us just running the show ourselves or is that more beneficial for like a a big hotel as far as getting all the resources and stuff or um I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh it's really case by case dependent. So uh, if um and I would say probably 30 brooms, 32 brooms is probably about the smallest you want to put a flag on because, you know, you do have a, you do have a franchise expense uh, and then you pay them uh, a percentage, you know, it's usually somewhere around eight, give or take, depending on the franchise, eight percent of your sales, room sales. So any tertiary sales don't go to them, just room sales. Um, but what they provide is, you know, access to the mass uh marketing right to you know their their entire mass marketing um and it brings some credibility right so um i i would i would ask the question is your are are you getting the goals that you want you know out of out of your asset uh because it's going to cost you some um and and if not you know if it's really uh appealing the franchises will offer incentives. Uh, we actually have an independent right now that we're putting a flag on. Uh, we're, uh, it's going to be a carry on, uh, clarry on point, but it's 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 very similar to what you're telling me. Um, we just have 90, 98 rooms, you know. So, but it, it, it's a very similar kind of town, right? There's it's the only hotel in town, and it stays at forty six percent, right? And there's really nothing there. So, you know, the value add, you know, we increase the brand, increase the revenue 37%, what Clarion tells us, uh, just by changing the brand over. So uh, if, you know, you're calling some of these franchises to ask that, they're going to do an analysis on your behalf, right? And they're going to tell you if they're interested in it or not. If they're uh, interested in it, then it's probably beneficial. That makes sense. I hadn't even thought about it that way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and go and Google me up some franchises and yeah. I mean, I can connect you with David. Um, David be, knows all the all these people. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear that. Um, and I'd definitely love to hear uh, what you guys are doing in Branson at some point because that's uh you know my back my backyard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want yeah. the Radisson. Oh yeah, man. Branson's a weird, it's a weird beast, but it is, you know, the short-term rental game there, especially down by the lake is just killer. Um, you know, cause, cause the prices are still very reasonable, 
in Missouri. Uh, I mean, you're seeing it if you're buying anything in the Missouri area, like I can still go buy a, a house for under a hundred thousand dollars if I want to, it won't be a really nice house, but you know, Missouri pricing is very reasonable, but then you get into Branson pricing's a little bit more pricey. It's, it's still reasonable, but Branson's such a hop and travel place that, you know, there's a ton of tourism, a ton of business. Uh, the one thing about Branson is, uh, boy, does it have a reputation for shysty business doings like they, I swear, like you want to look up real estate lawsuits in the city or the state of Missouri and Branson is probably the spot. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, my attorney's always joking about it. Like man, yeah. the things that, you know, but is what it is. And that's super yeah. cool. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, and, and all this stuff, you, we, we were just looking, right? It's not like we, we knew exactly what we were doing. We were just open to it, looking and thinking big. And it all literally just kind of feels like it just fell in our lap. So I, I talked about Archimedes earlier. Um, we, we basically uh, created a a new company, Tempest 22, with uh, Octavio and Adit, um, Octavio Moda and Adit Shaw, uh, because it was veteran, you know, all veteran owned and operated, disabled veteran owned and operated. And, and so we looked at it as uh, uh, something that we could grow really fast. It was a bunch of big thinking uh, partners, uh, highly motivated, and nobody understands that, you know, there's a thing called failure out there. Right. You know, that's what you get with veterans. Right. You know, yeah. it's, you, you always have to achieve yeah, you know, going for objective. It. So, uh, you know, so we, we didn't close Archimedes, but, you know, we, we have positioned ourselves to uh, in, into building Tempest 22. And so Tempest was a um, Tempest is a storm, right? Like this hurricane. Right. Uh, it's very disruptive. So we, we kind of took that disruptive you know, we wanted to be disruptive in the uh, private equity space, not necessarily just syndication, but private equity in general. Uh, and then 22 uh, in remembrance of the 22 veteran suicides uh, that occur every day to bring awareness to that. Uh, and our intentions are to donate a, a, a significant portions of all of our profits into uh, veteran organizations like that. That's cool. That's super cool. And, you know, and I, I love, you know, all the guys in the group. So that's, that's awesome. And what, what you're saying about, you know, at 48, 49% occupancy with all your, everything else, you're able to return 20% IRR. Like that's, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. I, I really, really enjoy it. And, and now the, the real kicker question, I suppose, is you're running them at 49%. What do you think your average, like actual occupancy is? I mean, obviously that varies a ton, but it, it does, but typically between 40 and 60% in hospitality, right? Your, your averaged occupancy over, over the course of the year is between 40 and 60%. Um, that 60%, that's where you really start increasing the price of the room. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that makes, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Just yeah, like, dynamic it, just pricing, like that, that, that's why, you know, revenue management, that's why, uh, that's why you see so many that are, you know, that there's such a value, even pre COVID, we were finding deals, you know, we were searching for deals just like that, that were cash flow positive, uh, in markets that we liked, um, and that it had, uh, at least 30% growth potential. 
Um, and they were everywhere. You can still find them everywhere. So the, it's not going to go away. Uh, the opportunity is not going to go away. It'll just, you know, kind of shrink a little bit. Just right now, it's, you know, you, you can throw a rock and hit it, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I hadn't, I mean, it makes perfect sense that this is the time. Um, and it's it's been good for us for the most part. So uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, uh, I know, uh, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful of your time. And I also uh, uh, unfortunately have a, a hour long drive to go to a city council meeting here in uh, about an hour, 45 minutes. So um, before we roll, though, and and this is awesome because I'm. I just, you know, I think you're the first person I've ever had on the show who does uh, hotels, which is cool to offer yeah. a different perspective on everything. Um, you know, but how, how do people reach out if they'd like more information? Sure. Absolutely. I am all over LinkedIn. I'm on it every single day. Uh, so you can find me, Danny Fry, at LinkedIn. Uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, our company has a uh, Tempest 22, also has a company page. Um, and our website goes live today, Tempest22.com. Oh, right on. Well, that's, oh, I think we're, is this, yeah, we are already LinkedIn connections. Look at that. Perfect. Probably just because <laughs> I have, well, we have 204 mutual connections. So it sounds like we both kind of do the same thing on LinkedIn, which is, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's phenomenal. And, you know, I look forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing and what y'all's uh, success is. And um, yeah, I definitely love a connection to, david uh to talk flagship stuff but also uh keep me in the loop whenever you guys are dabbling in the branson area i i uh if there's anything i can do to help or uh you know i i got i got feelers here i'm right down the road so happy to happy to help or happy to chat yeah perfect i appreciate that next time i get out, out to that area or you get out to the fort bragg area man we'll have to uh we'll have to catch up and uh, oh, yeah. catch a beer or something yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adit's going to be here in uh, in two weeks. He's coming out. We're doing a local event and uh, for some people in the mastermind group, and he's he's coming. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it'll be good. So, yeah, good deal. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you very much for joining me today. All right, I appreciate you, David. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, anytime. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.